Welcome back to Everything Just Changed, a podcast where we are helping you follow Jesus faithfully in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. I'm Bryce Hales, and I am with my friend Brad Edwards, and we are uh, doing something a little bit different today. Brad is forcing me somewhat against my will to uh, interrupt our normal schedule. You know, we've been uh, developing uh, our thesis uh, around king and kingdom in this uh, second season of our podcast. And uh, we've been doing that over the last several episodes. And um, in light of some of the events just taking place in our country, we wanted to um, do something a little bit different, take a break from really explicitly talking about king and kingdom and uh, talk about the nature of truth as it is being played out on the national platform. So, uh, Brad, why don't you uh, tell us where we're going today and, 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 and get us get us started here. With great fear and trembling. Um, yeah, well, just to just to kind of describe that tension that you're you're dipping our toes into here, right? Like we're trying to describe something that is very contemporary happening all around us and in front of us. Um, but the danger of like, of, of the hot take, uh, is, is very real. And so we're, we're just getting a little bit closer to the, to the sun, like Icarus. And, um, hopefully <laughs> the, the melting point of wax is uh, a little bit higher than we have anticipated. So that's, that's where we're going today. But yeah, so the reason why I put a gun to Bryce's head and want to talk about this is because in the midst of everything that, you know, you all have, uh, probably a very acute awareness at this point of what's going on in terms of, you know, President Trump and First Lady having contracted and tested positive for the for COVID-19 and are currently in he is at least in Walter Reed uh, Army Hospital doing, you know, recovering and being treated for this. Uh, There was something that was said over the weekend that that my antenna just just sprang straight up and I had alarm bells going off that was really interesting and still very related to some of the things that we're talking about. And it was this, it was, uh, the white house physician to president Trump, uh, Dr. Conley came out uh, and did a a press conference. I I think this was Sunday. It might've been Saturday, but I'm pretty sure this was Sunday. And he said, uh, in reference to some very conflicting information and, and, or very ambiguous intentionally. So, uh, descriptions of where, how president Trump is doing, he said something that just stuck out to me and it was this, and I'm going to be reading a direct quote. He said, uh, to explain the the contradictory information he was setting out, he said, I was trying to reflect the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. I didn't want to give any information that might steer the course of illness in another direction. And in doing so, you know, it came off that we were trying to hide something which wasn't necessarily true. Now, so steal it, steering the course of the illness with the information that he's releasing. Yes, <laughs> that that was that was exactly the part, the part that that had some alarm bells going off in my head. And and you have to ask the question, OK, so is he really saying that his press conference would somehow affect negatively the effects that a virus is having on President Trump's physical body. Right. And that is actually what he is saying. And for a lot of people who are uh, you know, not familiar with some of President Trump's 
uh, kind of spiritual background. This might just sound kind of weird or out of the blue, but it's actually extremely consistent because I don't know if, if, you know, we may not remember this, but during the 2016 campaign, when he was talking about his faith, he mentioned that, uh, his pastor who actually, uh, fun trivia note, uh, married him, married president Trump and his original, his first wife, uh, Ivana, um, was a pastor in New York city named Norman Vincent Peel. Yeah. This is really, really significant, okay? If you don't know who Norman Vincent Peale is, this is a guy who, he wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking, A Practical Guide to Mastering the Problems of Everyday Living uh, in 1952. And he is a, um, he basically conflated uh, Christian themes and biblical themes with this very um, transcendentalist type of, uh, kind of psychology, spiritualized psychology that said, yeah. if I just think positively enough, uh, that will fix the problems in my life. I will, uh, you know, it's, it's very related to, if you remember the book in 2006 that came out called The Secret, it's this idea around the law of attraction. Yeah, you, put, you, release, you release positive vibes out into the universe and that somehow uh, affects the, the course of reality. Yes. And so Norman absolutely. Vincent Peale is taking this kind of new agey idea and putting a uh, just a very, very thin Christian veneer over it, yeah. which has been super influential in how the president views his life <laughs> and, uh, and interacts with the world. Absolutely. Well, and, and it's all <laughs> it's all this is why proof texting is so such a t bad thing. Um, like we need a deeper hermeneutic. We need a deeper lens for reading scripture than just, oh, well, I'm just going to take this t this verse out of context and then apply it in ways it was never meant to be applied. Um, but it's all based on and even the secret actually uses this verse from Matthew 21, verse 22. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. In other words, ask it, believe it, and then you will receive it. Right. It's, it's a, it's, it's a complete disastrous, um, bastardization of, of what Jesus was actually trying to say in that moment. Right. Um, here's how this is related and why this is a thing. Um, and, and then I think there's a lot of different places we could kind of, uh, follow some tangents from here. This idea is really explicitly, you know, in this category of parapositive thinking or the law of attraction. Um, however, there are very, there are, there is a lot of very implicit use or functionally equivalent perspectives within evangelicalism that do this, a, a similar thing, right? The health and wealth gospel, which by the yeah. way, we're Orthodox. We would not say that the health and wealth gospel is evangelical. Um, it, it is, that is not the case. However, we have a lot of our people have been influenced in subtle ways by health and wealth thinking. And it, it, it is its own kind of virus that has very much infected the evangelical church. And there are a lot of pastors who don't confront that. For yeah. Some so like, so like the idea that, that, um, you know, a pastor would say, Hey, if you give now, God's going to bless you and put money back in your bank account. Most evangelicals would reject. And yet we're functionally living in many ways with this idea that if I do the right thing, if I'm a good person, if I go to church, you know, somewhat regularly, that God has to bless me and I should be living a comfortable life, which is yes. functionally 
the health and wealth, the prosperity gospel. Yeah, absolutely. It's this kind of a, um, Americanized civil religion too, yeah. right? If I'm a good citizen, then, then, you know, God will reward me. And like, we've been having this conversation kind of within my church, the table a little bit, because, um, we've been doing the sermon series on politics, uh, called citizens and exile fidelity and flourishing beyond the culture wars. And we've been doing a zoom Q and a afterwards. And some of the questions have very much revolved around, well, how do we understand, especially how to apply old Testament, um, principles and passages to the modern context where like Israel is not the United States. Israel is the church in the new Testament era. And so what is, how do we understand how to apply what is said to Israel? And for example, the prophets like Micah, um, how do we understand what it looks like to apply that now? And there's a lot of thinking in evangelicalism that says, um, uh, what's what's that passage in in Second Chronicles? I think it is like if you repent, yeah, if God my people will, heal will hear my voice and repent, and and I will heal their heal their land, and right, right, and we apply that to our American citizenship, not our heavenly or kingdom citizenship, right, and that opens the door for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So here, like, here's the problem. And, and Bryce, I want to, I want, I would love for you to bring in an article that we've both been talking about recently uh, by Alan Noble. Yeah. But the problem with this is it, it makes truth and it normalizes truth as aspirational, as in something that we as human beings, finite human beings can somehow shape versus truth as something objective that we are called to submit to. Yeah. So the, the irony here is that Christians are people who, um, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Christians are people who uh, follow the truth wherever it takes us. We believe that truth is an objective reality. Truth is a person who walked into a room. Um, we believe in the nature of objective truth. And, and frankly, Brad, I mean, if you go back, you know, 10 years ago, or, you know, kind of late 90s, early 2000s, even that's more than 10 years ago, uh, shows how old I am. That yeah. that feels like it was 10 years ago. Um, but last there, month feels like 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> but but I mean, like when I was in college, when I was in seminary, there was so much talk about um, postmodernism and how mm. people are viewing truth as this relative fluid thing. And what's true for you may not be true for me. And Christians um, were super like uh, aware of and pushing back against this idea that mm. truth is a relative malleable thing that changes depending on your perspective or where you're or where you're seeing it from. And now, um, you know, fast forward 20 years and. Uh, you know, statistically, anyway, uh, evangelicals in large measure have put their um, support behind a president who views truth as a relative malleable thing. And Alan Noble, who uh, is a professor at, I think it's called Oklahoma Baptist University, yep. um, really thoughtful guy, uh, published an article. This came out last week. Now, I think it's important to say this was published September 28th. This was published at least before anybody knew that Trump had contracted the coronavirus. And um, it, it's even more relevant uh, after learning that news. So the yeah. article is um, published in the public discourse. It's uh, titled Christian Witness Demands That We Defend Truth and Reject Donald Trump. And Alan says in here, President Trump's administration 
treats truth as merely a function of power. Mm. Um, This is so clear. I mean, I think Alan just like said what many of us have been feeling (laughs) and maybe uncomfortable with for four or five years um, that that the president will say things not because they are objectively true, but because they will lead to the outcome he's hoping for. And if Man. if that's not demonstrated in the way that he's dealt with the coronavirus, um, I, you know, in the debate last week, uh, he, he kind of made this big deal about how Biden wears a mask, the biggest mask I've ever seen. Uh, and Trump wears a mask when he needs to, but not all the time. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Like those are the, I don't know if those words have come back to haunt him. Um, after, uh, you know, I, I, let me just be clear. Like we're not, we're, we're not recording this to, uh, to kind of do this like weird, inappropriate flex. Um, I, I'm not in any way gleeful about Trump coming down with the coronavirus. Um, and and yet we are called, right. Yes. I want, I just want to, I want to reiterate exactly what you said, because like Christians, because, uh, because we have had our identity uh, provided for us, because our sins have been satisfied on the cross, all of those things, because justice has been done there, and it's the intersection of justice and mercy, because of all of that, like we are called to pray for our political leadership. Um, when Paul says, uh, or is it Paul or Peter? Uh, you know, is Peter in First Peter, honor yeah. the emperor, right? Right. We, we want to be edifying Honor the emperor, in this. pray for the governors. Yeah, absolutely. Like we are, we are called to uh, do this in an edifying way. And our allegiance to truth is higher than any human political leadership. And that is why we're having this conversation. And Bryce, you said something just a second ago that like just connected some dots for me because in this uh, kind of zoom Q and a discussion that our, that our, our church is doing after our live stream, somebody asked, Hey, what, how do I, how do I respond to the argument um, of a lot of evangelicals uh, that the that the end justifies the means? In other words, like what you just said, the outcomes are worth you know whatever we're doing here. And my response to them in, in that moment, as well as as we're talking about this, is okay. First, first of all, um, that's not biblical. Right. There's nowhere in scripture that says, hey, you have license as a follower of Jesus to um, break the Ten Commandments, to not love God and your neighbor as yourself in order to uh, do some kind of an outcome. That is functionally a faithless uh, posture that says God's not sovereign and I have to act. Yeah. Well, I can- and I think. It, what's super important, and and I don't know. Again, as American Christians, um, we have enjoyed a level of of cultural significance for so long that I, what I'm about to say mm. might not actually make sense uh, at a heart level, at a gut level, to many Christians. But what we are called to is faithfulness, and not necessarily success. I mean, mm. even w- the passage you just referenced in First Peter, when Peter says, um, you know. Uh, submit to the emperor, pray for the governor. He's talking about that in the context of ancient pagan Rome, where mm. n- nobody had a vote. Um, many, m- a lot of Christians were not citizens, but e- citizens didn't have a vote. It wasn't a democracy. Um, 
things were were much worse for them in terms of political and cultural influence in the Roman Empire than they are for American Christians in a, a democracy now. And so if if what I'm getting at is uh, if we the the question that you just raised there, uh, do the ends justify the means implies that what we are called to is success. And that we know we're right because we're winning. Well, Jesus doesn't actually um, call us to be victorious. Um, He calls us to find our identity in his victory and to be faithful with with what he's uh, given to us and what he's called us to do in this world. And And the reality is that that might often look like losing. And frankly, historically, well, I mean, let's just go right to the for the jugular here. I mean, if the cross isn't the biggest example of how God can use failure mm. uh, to accomplish his own ends, then I don't know what is. Uh, on the cross, Jesus pulls the powers of sin, evil, and darkness onto himself. And the greatest tragedy in the history of the universe actually becomes the source of hope for God's people, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, the cross is 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 uh, pulling victory out of the jaws of defeat exactly and a an end justifies the mean posture will have the result of of snapping vic, uh victory out of the or sorry <laughs> let me say that again um and end ju- and ends justify the means posture will have the result of of stealing defeat out of the jaws of victory right we are that's the other part of this that we are we are this is why this is connected so poignantly to the paradigm we have been exploring in this podcast because the very ends justify the means posture in evangelicalism especially moral majority until present moment has been why people are flooding out of the evangelical church because it doesn't square with scripture right this is why post evangelicalism is a thing this is why people are frustrated with hypocrisy this is why like it's it's literally i think i can't remember who i saw um writing an article about this here recently but described it as moral rot and it is and, and because the faithfulness that we're called to is to pick up our cross and follow jesus into defeat in the hopes and expectation that G- that god himself is sufficient, that he is going to not necessarily protect us in an earthly sense, but that we have been saved from any threat in an ultimate sense. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. If, if we, if we, um, sort of give up on objective truth and use truth just as a tool to achieve our outcomes, our intended outcomes, we actually end up eroding the foundation that we have, um, for pursuing goodness and beauty in the world. Um, Let me read another quote from Alan's um, article, um, because I think, I think this is really good. Um, (laughs) He says towards the end of the article, he, he, he writes, social conservatism cannot be sustained by identity politics because it assumes a common good based on certain truths about existence. It requires a robust conception of transcendent timeless truths and virtues. If truth is merely a function of power, then the pro-choice criticism is right. We really are just trying to control women's bodies. And so what, what, what I think um, the unintended consequence 
of so much of what's going on in our in our culture right now is people mm-hmm. on the the right side of the political spectrum are throwing their support behind a president who uses truth as a function of power is that they are sawing off the branch that they are standing on. Because once we have uh, given up on the idea that truth is true, whether we agree with it or not, hmm. that there is, a, there is a, um, an objective reality to the nature of truth, all we are left with is power. And who can who can wield uh, information, data, spin, narrative, story in a way to justify their intended uh, outcomes, their desired outcomes? So if if we're saying that that truth is not an objective reality, then we have no basis to to say things like. Um, Freedom of speech should be granted to anybody, regardless of hmm. their, uh, you know, their creed, or that um, that unborn, you know, to the kind of the, the dignity of life. Hmm. Uh, it's not it's not a matter of objective truth, and therefore, whoever manages to wrestle their way to the top of that argument is right. Man, well, and and just like I was kind of criticizing this proof texting approach that looks at verses out of context, it's really important to look at what you just described in context too, because it was especially in the during the sexual revolution of the 60s that the cultural and political left in our country started to do exactly what you're describing in order to push forward a um, an agenda, a socio-cultural agenda that, um, frankly, we should have had um, a lot more cultural self-awareness to make some space for. Um, but because the church in, in many ways didn't, uh, this got weaponized and kind of subjective approach to truth was used to kind of worm uh, their way into the cultural institutions of our country. Mm-hmm. And that's that began this slow but very steady, stable drift towards subjective truth. And in many ways, the moral majority of the 80s was a response to that and that said, okay, we don't have control over the, our cultural institutions anymore. We're going to throw all of our weight behind the, our political institutions, which is less about culture and more about power. Uh, and 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 a more blunt force kind of approach to influence through politics. And yeah. so in a lot of ways, the right, the, the, and I'm not just talking about religious, I'm just saying, you know, the cultural political right in the U S saw the influence that, Hey, subjective truth. And this idea of, of, of spin to make it be whatever we want, that, that seems to be working really well. And eventually you put that in the intersection with what we're talking about with this kind of Norman Vincent Peale approach to the gospel that is not the gospel. And you have a perfect storm that Donald Trump walked into and took full advantage of in 2015, 2016. And so in many ways, this, this is the moment that has been coming to a head for 50 to 60 years. Well, and it's almost like what what what's happened here is that um, progressives, people generally on the left side of the political cultural spectrum have embraced uh, the concept of the relativity of truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you said, since the 60s and 70s, the right, whether the religious right or just the, you know, kind of secular conservative 
uh, right have pushed back against that. And now what Trump has done is sort of said, uh, I see what they're doing and I can make that work on the right side of the spectrum mm-hmm. too. And I think that's in some ways uh, kind of what is disrupting the Republican Party right now. And here's the place where I feel like we maybe need to take a step back and say, at the end of the day, at least my interest is not really to critique the president or to tell anybody who to vote for, or who not to vote for. Uh, our concern is really uh, around it, the issues of who is Jesus as the king and what does it mean to follow him into his kingdom. And I'm concerned that the long term effects of Christians uh, embracing um, someone who is willing to use truth as a function of power will be disastrous mm. well beyond 2024, let's say. Because as soon as we have opened the door to uh, the relativity of truth, what we're saying, what we have to then say is Christianity is not objectively true. It's just my preference. Man, Jesus I mean- is not objectively the king. <laughs> who died on the cross and rose from the grave on the third day. It's just a great story that I choose to frame my life around. Well, and here's that's a why, problem. That's a big oh my problem. Gosh. Yeah. Well, and too, even as we're talking about, you know, what is objective truth? There's, there's two sides, even, you know, kind of two errors we can make even in the midst of that. Um, that is really, really challenging. Right. Um, one thing I've noticed is in, in an ironic sense, because of how much, President Trump has doubled down on uh, the fake news accusation and everything else. You see on the left a kind of doubling down on because science, right? And and that like, well, science says this. And there can be a naivety around objective truth that says that um, truth is uh, this, what am I trying to say? Um, we need to remember that even objective truth is not just uh, in terms of meaning that we need to have some self-awareness that there is data and there are facts. And then we can conflate meaning with data and facts such that we think that, oh, well, science says this. No, science does not say, science doesn't say anything. Right. It presents reality as it is. And then we interpret it and give it meaning. And so we need to be really careful that is, as we talk about science, we are aware that uh, we're not importing our own meaning into that, right? But the other thing that we've got to really remember, especially, man, the, the influence that social media has on us and our perception of what is objective truth had better humble us. We had better um, really take a step back and, and, and ask the question, how much of what we are absorbing as information is unknowingly shaping what we perceive to be objective truth in the first place. And there've been a, 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 you know, documentaries about this recently. Netflix just had a huge documentary. I have not had the opportunity to, to watch it yet. Uh, but the economist just put out a pretty incredible podcast episode, uh, that I came across that they actually asked the question. It was all around this, this idea that when did reality itself become politicized? Like when did reality become something that depending on what you perceive to be objective truth was actually a statement of which political party or political Mm. end of the spectrum you were on like that, that in and of itself is a profoundly disturbing uh, observation. Uh, And they do a really good job of connecting this to the way that social media is actually incentivized to cultivate uh, engagement. And that means that it's primarily 
operating off of this this idea that novel the combination of novelty and fear is going to be what cultivates our engagement and therefore makes them money and that is not a that is not a reliable filter for discerning truth um so we mm. we're in the midst of a a a massive transition technologically and and epistemologically and i think it's imperative for christians to take a deep breath to take a step back and and just be really critical of of what information you're taking in and and what meaning is being implied either implied or explicitly attached to it absolutely yeah jesus said the truth you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free and if we're going to be people who are going to follow jesus in the midst of the chaotic and turbulent world that we are living now and let's be honest uh I think in many ways, uh, continued disruption is going to be the norm in in this next kind of generation. I don't know how long this is going to last, but um, the the interconnected nature of our world, but also the fragility of the global system is going to lead to further disruptions. Doesn't mean we're going to be quarantining from a panic for, uh, from a pandemic for the rest of our lives. <clears throat> Here's the point. We are we are moving into a new stage and Christians are going to have to be people if we are going to remain faithful to the king, we're going to have to be a little bit more discerning than we have been about what is true, what we are listening to, and uh, the metric of winning <laughs> of success yeah. cannot be the way that we discern what is true and what is false. And 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 if there that begs the question, Bryce, and, and I think this is this may be a good place to leave it. How do I know which truth is true? And which truth is not? How do we do that discernment? And one thing I would say that that we can hang our hat on that even in the midst of all this, I think is still absolutely true is, is understanding that biblically truth has the result of cultivating virtue. Hmm. In other words, if the source of proclaimed truth that you're getting this from is not demonstrating to any degree the, the fruit of the spirit, you should not listen to it. Like you should be very skeptical at the very, at the very least, mm-hmm. and because I like, there is no place in scripture where truth without love is an acceptable form of, of, of communicating truth as a Christian mm-hmm. and where you can find sources that are, are demonstrating the fruit of the spirit, even as they are proclaiming truth. Um, I think that is especially worthwhile in terms of listening to right we're gonna be if the the truth will set you free then uh we should be very wary of sources that are proclaiming what they uh, purport to be the truth that are leading you into fear yes or anger And, and this is why and and you're um our next podcast episode yeah. is going to be part one of two, a two-part interview with the David French. And I was especially excited, and this is where a, a huge portion of our conversation went, but I was especially excited uh, to talk to him because this is a guy who, after writing the uh, original Never Trump article for National Review in early 2016, had death threats sent to, sent to him and his wife. I don't know. The, uh, there is no way that someone like David French can continue to speak truth with love, to, to never mind just not quit the, the industry that he is in without a security 
and a supernatural transcendent God cultivating in him the fruit of the Spirit. That not because of what he proclaims to believe in terms of a doctrinal sense, but because the truth that he believes in is bearing virtuous fruit. Yeah. That is a good example. Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to wrap up for today uh, as we think about the nature of truth and the way that it actually affects the way we live our lives, following the king into a kingdom way of living in this world that is not about uh, success or winning, but it's about the cultivation of, of virtue. We want to give you a quick uh, heads up about where we're going. In a, later this week, we're going to release the first of our two-part interview with David French where we got to get David's perspective on what's going on in this polarized moment that we are living through. We've got a two-part conversation with him coming up. You're not going to want to miss that. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. We are going to get into some issues of leadership and how uh, adaptive leadership is necessary in this next season. And I'm super excited about this, Brad. We've got an interview with Mark Sayers, who, let's be honest, Mark Sayers is really the reason that we started our podcast. Uh, Mark is a Australian pastor and author and uh, just one of the keenest observers of cultural trends that I have ever encountered. And we're going to sit down with him and uh, get his insight on what is going on in this cultural moment. We're going to bring all of that to you coming up soon right here on Everything Just Changed. Can't wait to uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks. See you guys.